Welcome to Beltway Talk, the podcast of the American International Automobile Dealers Association, where we examine the intersection between Washington politics and the auto retail industry. I'm your host, Hannah Oliver. Today's episode of Beltway Talk is brought to you by AIADA affinity partner Cox Automotive, transforming the way the world buys, sells, owns, and uses cars. Find out more at AIADA.org. We're joined today by Jim Appleton, who is the president of the New Jersey Coalition of Automotive Retailers. Jim is here to talk about his role as president of the Dealer Association, as well as how his state's dealers have weathered recent challenges in the industry. Finally, he's here to address the importance of dealer involvement. Welcome to Beltway Talk, Jim. Thanks for the invite. I'm thrilled to be here. Can you start off by introducing yourself to Beltway Talk listeners? I know that most of our New Jersey listeners are probably already really familiar with you, but for those who aren't, tell us about your background, how you got to NJ Carr, as well as what you do. Sure. Um, I am uh, uh, president of the New Jersey Coalition of Automotive Retailers, NJ Carr. It's the statewide trade association that represents all of New Jersey's franchised new car and truck retailers. I actually came to um, NJ Carr uh, from an outside consulting role. I was the managing partner at a lobbying firm in Trenton that had represented the car dealers for years. And when their longtime executive was ready to retire, now more than 20 years ago, uh, I was recruited to take his place. So you've been there quite a while. Um, I know that New Jersey has a pretty thriving auto retail sector. Could you tell us more about it, including its economic impact and, you know, the people that auto dealers employ? Yeah, I mean, it's something we're really proud of. Um, You know, New Jersey's 500 rooftops, uh, 500 franchised Mm -hmm. new car and truck dealers employ nearly 39,000 men and women in full-time, great-paying jobs with good benefits, uh, jobs that can't be outsourced or shipped overseas. uh, Mm -hmm. And... um, this is a uh, $37 billion a year industry in New Jersey, all in. Wow. $7 billion. That's, you know, sales, service, new and used. Um, you know, New Jersey is not that different than most other states. We rank as one of the top, if not the top, retail uh, business sector, uh, both in terms of volume, uh, taxes uh, remitted, um, and employment. Wow. So um, tell us something that we might not know about New Jersey's auto dealers or anything we don't know. Yeah, well, you know, I think people think of New Jersey as a very urban state um, and as a um, densely populated state, which, of course, it is, um, particularly if you draw a line from New York to Philly. Uh, But once you get off that line, uh, New Jersey is a very um, rural state. Um, It's known as the Garden State. And what most people probably don't realize is that nearly half of the dealerships in New Jersey are three rooftops or fewer. Uh, We do have significant presence uh, from some of the uh, large publicly traded organizations. We've got some Group 1 stores. We've got a a number of Lithia stores. um, But um, and we have some Penske stores. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, the, the car business in New Jersey is still very much a mom and pop business. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and they're uh, local business owners who are um, you know, very uh, connected to their communities. Um, and um, and it's still, as I said, still a, a mom and pop small business operation here. Mm-hmm. Well, 
on that note, 2020 and 2021 have been really a big ride for dealers in many ways. Um, how have New Jersey dealers weathered COVID and, you know, the ongoing vehicle shortage issues, the chip supply issues, all the things? Yeah, you know, the you know, COVID, you know, going back to the to the start, is, is, as you probably know, um, New, New York and New Jersey were sort of ground zero for COVID mm-hmm. um, in uh, you know, March of 2020. Um, new car sales um, dropped nearly 80% um, in mm-hmm. the state of New Jersey in the March, April, May timeframe. Uh, and we've uh, obviously come back uh, significantly uh, over that period of time uh, only to face the chip shortage, um, which has again yeah. uh, thrown uh, sales volumes into, um, into a real tailspin. Um, but, you know, as, as I think most of the, your listeners uh, will know, you know, it's better to have one too few cars than one too many uh, when it comes to yeah. uh, the car business. And, and, and I think profitability has really bounced back uh, for our mm-hmm. dealers. Um, you know, this, this is still a major concern because while you can, you, know, you can make money on cars you have when cars are in short supply, you can't make money on cars you don't have. Uh, mm-hmm. And from all accounts, we're headed into um, you know, the, uh, the summer and fall selling season uh, with inventories that um, you know, will really challenge the dealer's ability uh, to, to make a profit. I'm happy to say though, that through the pandemic, um, you know, one of the things that's you know, been, been uh, a great relief to us in New Jersey is we really haven't lost any dealers. Um, you know, they, they, and, uh, and more importantly, we haven't lost a lot of jobs and employment, um, That's good. Dealers, yeah. dealers kept their people, um, mm-hmm. through the pandemic, um, thanks in part to PPP, uh, money, but frankly, many of them had made the decision they were going to keep their people anyway. Um, yeah. and they did so, uh, because, um, you know, the retail business is a, is a people business. It's always been hard uh, in the state of New Jersey for our dealers to find and keep, um, you know, not just techs, everybody has the the tech shortage uh, issue, uh, but uh, to find, you know, uh, good sales and office staff. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, the dealerships, again, you know, these are, you know, mom and pop stores for the most part, um, and they kept their people, um, kept them employed uh, and kept them, you know, kept them committed to the operation. And, you know, on the other side of this, uh, business has been pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I also know that, you know, in addition to keeping their employees, like you mentioned, um, dealers have really stepped up to the plate in helping their communities during these challenging times. Can you tell us about some of the things you've seen from New Jersey's dealers? You know, how are they helping their communities? And what does this say about dealers in general? Yeah, well, I think, look, the number one thing they've done is they, they kept their people working, um, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, keeps, um, you know, money in the community, um, and mm-hmm. keeps um, the, uh, the, the uh, families and, and, uh, and working people in the community, um, you know, um, in good, in good financial shape. Um, you know, many of our dealers have uh, longstanding uh, relationships with local charities, uh, particularly the food mm-hmm. banks. And uh, we saw dealers really stepping up uh, in areas that were food insecure uh, to provide 
uh, not just funds, uh, but personnel and logistics help, uh, vehicles um, and, uh, and people to help load those vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, you know, they, I think through this pandemic, you know, the dealer and the franchise model has really proven uh, itself as, you know, important glue that keeps our communities together. Absolutely. Turning quickly, or not quickly, turning to advocacy, um, what are some of your association's big ticket legislative and policy issues? I, you know, obviously these are going to be unique to New Jersey auto dealers. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, I, I think the things that we're focused on right now, you know, is the starting, you know, the broader, you know, kind of public policy issues, mm-hmm. then working our way down to some of the, you know, discrete legislative matters are, are not that different in New Jersey than they are in, in a lot of other places. And the thing that, you know, we're really focused on at NJ Carr is what I consider to be, you know, sort of the, the four myths that threaten the franchise dealer mm-hmm. system. Um, mm-hmm. Those four myths are the factory direct, that the, the myth that factory direct sales are somehow more efficient than the dealer franchise system. Obviously, this is the Tesla model. Um, the second um, myth that threatens dealers is that you know buying cars at a car dealership is a hassle at best or a hustle uh, at worst. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the the Vroom advertisements that you see. Um, the effort uh, by Wall Street and Silicon Valley backed players. To, to disparage the car business in a way that I think is grotesquely unfair. Uh, mm-hmm. The third one is that traditional dealers don't want to do business digitally or online like most other modern retailers. You know, this is sort of the Carvana message. Um, and again, anybody who's spent any time at a dealership over the last couple of years knows that's just not true. Dealers are mm-hmm. particularly post-pandemic um, really all in on online and uh, digital sales. Um, this is a side note. You know, I'm not sure customers are yet, uh, but mm-hmm. you know, it's an option um, that dealers are offering. And then, I think the last one, which is really the most crucial one um, and the most threatening uh, of all, is that traditional dealers are somehow an obstacle to the introduction mm-hmm. of new options in personal mobility, um, such as electric vehicles, or autonomous vehicles subscription services or, or any of these other new personal mobility um, options that are being uh, presented uh, to consumers these days. You know, dealers have always been the most effective way to market for any new technology. Um, mm. You know, back in the day when blinkers were an option, um, dealers, you know, sold, sold blinkers uh, to get people yeah. uh, to, to drive vehicles that were safer. And, and then seatbelts, and then airbags, and anti-lock brakes. Um, and it'll be the same with electric vehicles and autonomy and subscription services. You know, the franchise system is the best and most effective way for automakers to bring their product, particularly new and innovative product, to the marketplace, because it's going to take uh, an extensive network of competitive dealers Mm-hmm. to sell and to explain to consumers the features and benefits of these new technologies, particularly when yeah. they're much more expensive than the incumbent technologies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of along the same lines, I think you kind of detailed that just in your last response, but what 
are, are what do you see as the top issues for dealers in the next, I guess, couple of years, maybe two to five years, yeah. three to five years? I, I think it's um, it's it, it, it's in, encompassed in those four myths. I mean, we, we need to um, work with our OEMs um, to create a greater understanding um, on the part of the consumer uh, and public policymakers um, that this system works well for everyone. It works well for manufacturers. Uh, it works well for uh, dealers. It works well mm -hmm. for con consumers. And most importantly, it works well for the communities in which the consumers do, uh, which the um, dealers do business. Um, you know, we talked already about, you know, keeping people employed. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the, the um, factory direct sale model, which is um, you know, Wall Street seems enamored with, um, and Silicon Valley is is pushing. Um, you know, it, it's great for Wall Street investors and for Silicon Valley venture capitalists, but it decimates Main Street businesses. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, in our um, conversations with local legislators here in New Jersey, they get that, um, and they understand that this franchise system is more than just a way of selling cars and that the car business is more than selling cars. The car business is mm -hmm. much more about standing behind the product that you offer, um, mm -hmm. whether it's a warranty or a safety recall claim. Uh, and it's about building relationships over time with consumers and with the communities yeah. in which these businesses are, are operating. Uh, so, um, you know, I think that that's sort of our, our big, our big challenge now is, you know, to really educate public policymakers in particular, uh, but also working with our OEMs and, and consumers to let them understand that the, the factory direct sale model produces no benefit for the consumer, um, is harmful to the uh, uh, communities in which, and, and the job creation, which the franchise systems represent. Um, and, um, and obviously, it eliminates competition, uh, which is uh, so beneficial for consumers. Mm -hmm. And um, on that note, what are the biggest ways that NJ Car has for dealers to simply and effectively impact the issues that are really impacting their bottom line right now and get in touch with their legislators and maintain those open lines of communication? Well, we have a... Um, uh, political action network. Um, you know, we have a kind of a grassroots advocacy program uh, where dealers, dealer management and, and dealer employees uh, can be plugged into our network so that when there is an issue that requires um, grassroots activity, um, you know, we can activate that grassroots network. Thousands of people have already signed mm -hmm. onto that program uh, and it grows constantly. We have um, um, an individual who's actually in the field going dealership to dealership explaining why this is important, mm -hmm. talking about the issues that uh, we're engaged with uh, at the State House in Trenton uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, getting people excited about the issue. You know, technicians are concerned about issues like direct sales uh, yeah. and uh, right to repair. Um, mm -hmm. The um, um, Salespeople uh, obviously are concerned about issues like direct sales 
and Sunday sales. Uh, New Jersey is a state where dealerships are closed on Sunday. Um, most dealers and their employees certainly don't want to be open on Sunday in the state of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, making it real and, and, and connecting with the employees uh, about the reasons why they should participate in uh, defending the industry uh, that they work in is, uh, is a challenge, but it's something that we've staffed up and geared up to do. Yeah, yeah. And how have um, or how has NJ Carr worked with AIADA on issues that are unique to the international nameplate franchise owners? Well, let me say, I, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of AIADA uh, for, for a number of reasons, not, not the least of which is, um, you know, it's an organization that is laser focused on the, the, its, its core issues, um, you know, uh, trade issues. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, you know we've um, you know, worked closely with AIADA and tried to help connect with our congressional delegation, um, mm -hmm. some of whom are in key positions uh, to be helpful. And you know the saying, "All politics is local." You know, um, Frank Pallone, who's the current chairman of the Energy and Commerce Committee, was a key committee on on transportation and and uh, commerce issues. Um, you know, started out in the state state assembly. We knew him back then. Um, mm -hmm. with Bill Pasquarell, um, you know, ranking member of the, the Ways and Means Committee. You know, so we have uh, these local connections, um, both through the association and local dealers uh, that um, you know we uh, we make available to and work closely with a at the direction of AIADA and how to how to engage those key decision makers on Capitol Hill on the issues that matter to AIADA. Yeah. And I, I know obviously you work specifically, more specifically on state level issues. Um, but broadly, why should dealers be engaged as well in what's happening in Washington and, you know, participate in programs like the dealer visit program and things like that? Yeah. And, and I would hasten to say, we, we don't make any distinction between, you know, the, uh, the state and, and congressional activity. We think, you know, it's, it's an all, all above, all the above, mm -hmm. because, you know, frankly, we we live in and operate in a system that has multiple layers. Uh, yeah, and, you know, dealers face opportunities, um, but more often threats uh, mm -hmm. at every level of government. Um, yeah, at the beginning of the pandemic, we were involved in lobbying the county government in Bergen County uh, because they shut all the dealers down, including yeah. departments. Uh, from day one. So we're working at the municipal and county level. Um, we're working at the state level and uh, we're working at the federal level. Uh, and we're grateful for organizations like AIDA and, and your team uh, that, uh, that, you know, helps you know, kind of direct us, uh, you know, because day to day, I wouldn't have any way of knowing what's happening in DC. Uh, yeah. But, uh, when AIADA puts out the call to action, um, you know, we're we're ready and and able to respond in an effective way. And I think the dealers get it. Um, you know, sometimes they're confused by it, uh, but I think they get it that um, you know, on any given day, uh, the most significant threat to their business could be a local threat or mm -hmm. be a threat out of Washington. Uh, yeah, and they they can't. Um, you know, it's, being a business owner in 2021 means you have to be politically active. Uh, yeah, because if you're not, your adversaries or your competitors will be uh, mm -hmm. will be the uh, the worst off for it. Yeah. 
Well, I really appreciate you joining us. Did you have anything to add, Jim, before we wrap up today? Uh, no, uh, just I uh, wanted to, I guess, just uh, acknowledge that the uh, relationship between NJ Carr and AIADA is uh, is a really strong one. Um, you know, I'm I'm proud that two of our very active NJ Carr members had served in chairmanship roles at AIADA, Richard Paul mm -hmm. and uh, and Rick De Silva, and I know that yep. um, the next generation of um, of AIADA people, uh, ADIA, AIADA leadership includes a number of really great New Jersey dealers as well. So um, we're really looking forward to, uh, to continuing that working relationship with you all. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us today, Jim. Um, look forward to having you join us on Beltway Talk again in the future. Great. Thanks for the invite. Have a great day. Thanks for listening in to this episode of Beltway Talk. Drop us a line and let us know what topics you'd like to hear about on future episodes. I can be reached at oliverh at AIADA.org. Join us again next time for Beltway Talk. <laughs>